pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quackett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. Draft Rugby, the game they play online in heaven. Welcome to the Draft Rugby Show. This is Season 5, Episode 9. Uh, I'm your host, Kagi, this evening, and joining me, I am joined by Harry. Uh, how are you going, Harry? Always good on uh, on the Draft Rugby Show, mate. I, I'm very excited to talk footy again after the draft on the weekend. Fair to say I'm a lot happier than you're, you are looking at your lineup, and I uh, can't wait to go through why. True. Well, look, one of us is uh, delusional, but... Um... Speaking of delusional people, thank God we've got rid of someone who is definitely delusional, Absolutely. Nelson, and we've replaced him. We've stepped up in class, and joining us we have Rev. Um, how are you going, Rev? Uh, how many Reds did you pick in your draft? Yeah, going really well. Uh, my Reds quota isn't too heinous. Uh, I think I kept it pretty respectable, only 22 of the 23. Um, just <laughs> wanted to make sure it was, you know, so I had room for the bye week. But, um, yeah, no, feeling good, and uh, glad I can do a draft rugby episode with a red kit on and not the Tars jersey like last time. That's true. Actually, Harry, it looks kind of like you're wearing a maroon shirt as well. Um, yeah, he's on board. It's um, it's the camera, you know. <laughs> it's, or did Rev it's send that definitely thing? blue. You, did Rev, Rev didn't send that one through to you? Was it? Okay. Um, no, very good. Well, yeah, look, I mean, we uh, we all had drafts on the weekend, uh, best uh, best day of the year. Rev actually is has been so keen that he had a draft last weekend and the weekend before that. Um, so good practice, uh, for last week's draft. Um, oh, don't but, tell the pick and drive boys. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was the warm up, lads. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, now it's, it's, it's di- uh, different for us. Cause this is the long, long wait before team lineups. Um, you know, we are very used to doing our draft the night, uh, kind of before footy kicks off. And so this week, uh, this year we thought we'd do it the weekend before and, um, it's going to be interesting. There's lots of factors that are going to affect Super Rugby Pacific this year. We have, of course, uh, COVID, which is um, yeah, knocking on the door always. Uh, we've got a couple of new teams, um, and we've got All Blacks coming back and resting. Thank God no Wallabies require any resting. Just get them on there. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be um, really interesting. So today's pod, we're going to talk about the draft. This is the draft podcast. So, um how the drafts kind of shaped up in Super, for Super Rugby Pacific 2022. Um, what were like? Let's look at who were the top draft picks this year. Um, so top three p- fantasy picks uh, for the whole competition in in um, in each position. And actually, we'll, we should start off with looking at who were our top three uh, fantasy picks for the 2021 competition last year, um, and then we'll look at the competition for this year and compare the pair. So. Harry, why don't you um, take us through the draft rugby top three picks of the competition in 2021? I just realised we did do this as um, unique picks for last year, not this year. So given I got the first three picks, it's only fair that you guys are forced to change your 2022 predictions (laughs) on the fly and I don't have to change anything. But uh, 2021, I'll say Nelson went first. He went Havili, so he was way off on that. The centre change did not do him any favours. Will Jordan, which was right up there, I think he was equal top outside back on a 45 average. Richie Moe, which is the low-hanging fruit, I think he was second overall, so zero correct there for him. Uh, Sebu Reese, Cody Taylor, Nani Lamape for me. Um, fantastic three picks. And, Kagi, you just said the remaining Crusaders, so exactly. I guess that makes you the most correct. I was going to say, that's acceptable, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. 
2022, um, as I said, I'll, I'll, I'll lead us off since I had free reign from every single player in the competition. Um, I have, once again, the top fantasy pick after his performance last year has to be Angus Bell. I've been getting a lot of hate on uh, or questions on Twitter because I know the fantasy rugby draft have him ranked as 88th pick, which is just lunacy to me because he had the highest average in the game last year on 61 points a game, second place being uh, 56, so five points lower, Richie Moe. But on top of that, his value over the next prop in the game was 26 points drop to the second-ranked HDH. So to me, he was clear, clearly the top prop to pick this year and clearly the top player. I've got Cody Taylor, who is forever the top hooker and just seems to be head and shoulders above his competition. And Richie Moe, as I said, I, I, obviously there's a bit of debate here because he's going to miss the first three rounds at least. He could be allowed to have a little bit longer if they're in a bubble, but he's just so good and he's so far above the competition. He's been second place last year and first a couple of years before that. So how can you get past him? Yep, pretty solid choices. I think, look, we probably just spent about 10 minutes before the pod trashing uh, everyone else who didn't have Angus Bell rated as their top pick. Um, I mean, Mr. Incredible, I've, I think I talk about him at least every episode we're on, but um, just unbelievable. Uh, all right, well, I went, uh, because we're good sports here on the Draft Rugby podcast, of course, we made Rev go last. And so uh, just as Harry was talking, uh, we were madly trying to fill out Three, three unique players, and uh, I just hung up on my last one for a while, just really making it difficult for reps. So that's all good. We picked them now, but um, but I picked a pretty easy one, Will Jordan for mine. Um, and if I was picking the top three anyway, I, Will Jordan would have definitely been in my top three, probably my second top pick. Um, so happy for that one. Can't go wrong with Sever Reese, another Crusaders outside back. Um, when in doubt, just pick Crusaders. And then I've been swayed by uh, our our pre pod chat. Um, and I picked Geordie Barrett, um, who just rock solid, consistent. Were you trashing um, him like five minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. And then it sunk in and the pressure of time has got. I mean, look, <laughs> I was just going to pick my favourite players. Otherwise, I was going to chuck out a Tupo or an Asafa. I don't know. But look, I, that, those are the three I came up with in that uh, last minute. Um, and that leads us on to, to Rev. Yeah, really dirty because I was about to type Jordy Barrett. I'm like, no, I'll let Kagi take his last one and it's snatched from uh, right underneath me. And I think I was I was talking him up, but look, I had to get a red in there. So I've gone take McDermott. I think he's a pretty clear um, number one scrum half and he's in my team. So I've, I've got to back him to be one of the top three in the comp. Um, but then I also took Artie Surveyor and Rico Ioani with the remaining picks, mainly because I think they're the best in their position. I know the centers um, don't traditionally score as well as some of the other positions, but. Um, Rico just, he's done his own highlights video package and a little montage of him training and doing all the, the sprints, the weights, the the stepping. So I think anyone that hypes himself up that much should be a top three fantasy pick. Love it. Absolutely. And uh, music to Kagi's ears, I think. That is. I think <laughs> I think I was saying that, you know, I, I thought with the centres, it was between Quinn Tapia and Rico Iwani, but um, I could not go further than my boy Rico Iwani. So, um as I said, I've already won the draft this year because I have both the Yuanis in my fantasy team. So everything's everything's a bonus from here, basically. But um, yeah, so no, I think that's I think everyone will agree with those those players all kind of shaping up as the top fantasy picks um, for the year. Um, and so why don't we actually jump straight into the main course then? And um, let's look at in in our draft in the the draft rugby OG league draft, and uh, also Rev can give some input from his drafts. But um, what were the top picks? by position. So um, 
a lot of them are pretty clear and obvious. I think we've already mentioned a few of them just in picking our top three players, but um, uh, we've gone through, uh, let's just go through all the positions. So um, whilst I love talking about props all day, I've been hearing my voice enough. So um, Rev, do you want to take us through through props? Yeah, absolutely. So we've touched on, you know, the GOAT prop, Angus Bell, I think should have been going top, you know, at least top five in uh, all drafts. Like he is an absolute gun. Uh, and sort of nipping at the heels, a little distance away, but still powerhouse props, uh, Taniela Tupo, Alan Alalatoa, and I think also Angus Bell's um, partner in crime, Harry Johnson-Holmes. Just, you know, when you factor in how important tackles and runs are for, for props, and they're absolute dynamite. So plenty of strong options. And realistically, I think they went a lot earlier than previous years props have gone, just seeing how dynamic Angus Bell was last year. He definitely got the ball rolling. You know, once once the first yeah. prop goes, the panic starts to set in that you miss Angus Bell, and now what are you going to be left with? <laughs> That's it. Well, I mean, he's the first prop ever to top a fantasy season, you know, in the history of fantasy. So if that doesn't, if that alone isn't a big enough statement, um, then, you know, I don't know what is. So, um, Harry, do you want to take us through hookers? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned Cody Taylor, number one pick. I think he's always the number one pick. He's just so consistent, and I just don't think he has much uh, competition this year again, probably even less to be honest. So I think he's going to have a big one. Um, Asafa Moa, he's our second top at the moment, and that's based off the fact that I think his his average last year was fourth. Oh no, sorry, it was third all up at a forty point average, and he came off the bench for half his games. So he's the only player in the competition, apart from Will Jordan, that it makes absolutely no difference if he starts or benches. You'll put him in your starting team every single week. So with the uh, continued ageing of his competition, I think that uh, Asafa Amua will be absolutely massive this year. And if he does get a lot of game time, I could see him actually usurping Cody Taylor as a number one. I've then got uh, Samasoni Takayaho as my next. I think we're talking about him pre-pod that after such a big year, he's so he's such a wrecking ball of a runner. If the Chiefs rolling malls on point, I think he could be right up there with the others as well and really challenge for top spot. And then finally, a play that was my favourite a couple of seasons ago, Kurt Eklund. I think he's just another really dynamic player that scores well and scores very, very consistently. I think he had a bit of a challenge for his jersey last year, but no more. I think... Uh, Lottery Tolai, who, who took some minutes off him, has gone over to, I'm going to say, Moana Pacifica. Um, so I think it's his jersey now, and he'll he'll go very, very well this year as well. Yeah, Rev, what do you what do you make of Kurt Eklund? I've gone on record many times saying that, um, look, and it's not just because he's not an Islander, but he just doesn't <laughs> excite me. Uh, I don't see what everyone sees in him, but um, how, what, what do you make of Kurt Eklund? I think his dad must be a silverback gorilla because he is built like an absolute machine. Like he's a he's a mammoth man. So I, I really like him. I was surprised that he was brought into the Blues. I think his injury cover last year. He wasn't even in the original squad at some point. So I, I couldn't really see how they rated him beneath the likes of Ray Newer and I think even um, uh, one of the other players that had there was it um, Latero Tolai or yeah. someone else in the squad was getting picked ahead of him. So. Because uh, of injuries, he got a bit of a run, and I thought he was really damaging in everything he did. Um, I'm keen to see how he fights for minutes with Riccatelli. I think that's a pretty good uh, dynamic they've got there, two pretty um, pretty intense ball carriers, and they like putting a shot on. They're not the most stable line-out throwers, but I'm keen to see both of them have a crack at the Blues. Yeah, fair. I think last year, maybe even the year before, probably just last year, I was definitely calling for um, Asafra Moore to just move to Auckland. I thought he'd have yeah. a mortgage on the jersey instead of, competing with Dane Coles and um, 
And Ricky Riccatelli has served the Hurricanes so well for many years. So it was kind of, it was hard for them to phase him out. You know, they had to keep giving him game time. And we, so, yeah, but, um, okay, no, interesting. Um, well, that brings us on to locks. And uh, we have the return of a great lock. Uh, oh, I'm going to get the year wrong. I think it was 2014 Rugby World Player of the Year. It's 2014 or 15. I think you're right. Uh, Brody oh. Retallick. Um, you know, obviously an incredibly old man now at, uh, I think he's 30 years of old. I actually probably need to double check that. But um, he's back after his his break and uh, will be starting for the Chiefs. He obviously went straight back into the All Blacks last year. Um, and, I mean, you can't really say enough about him. He is, when he, if he's in form, he's the best lock in the world without parallel as far as I'm concerned, even still at the age of 30. Um, and he offers everything. He's got power, ball running, skills, offloads, triases, you, know, you name it, he'll do it. So he was the top uh, lock for us, and I think um, I think he went went really early in your draft, Rev. I think we were saying he went 17th, yeah. um, whereas he made it uh, down to, I think it was 30, was it 31st, Harry, for us, or something around there? Um, I thought I'd put that in there, but I haven't. He uh, went in 28th. 28. I think. Oh, no, 28th in one of Revs and 31st in ours, yeah. yeah in ours, right. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, Brody, um, definitely the top lock option. Uh, followed by in our draft, we had Sam Whitelock, who um, just had an absolute gun year last year, just really consistent. I think I don't think anyone's ever questioned his consistency, but um, just his, his average points really went up last year and was just rock solid throughout. So pretty hard to go wrong with him um, again you know, one of the most, one of the best locks in the world, one of the most consistent locks in the world. Um, and he's in the, he's in the, the All Blacks and the Crusaders. What more can you want? So, um, uh, and then of course, a player after uh, Reds, uh, Revs Hearts, um, Lukan Sarkai Lotto, um, the tall building, as we refer to him as. Um, we'd just love to see him get that body height down a little bit, but um, absolute weapon, really. Um, he's been a gun in fantasy the last couple of years and, could have easily gone the second pick lock, so um, he's huge. It's pretty. It's a pretty tight contest there between Lucan, uh, Matt Phillip, Isaac Rodder. I feel like there's a lot of competition there for the next spot. Um, my question was for Rev on Retallick. How worried are you by the form he showed in the All Blacks last year and how that might transfer to his fantasy footy season? Because I think he went back to, like, I guess the elder statesman, just the physical presence, maybe not quite the dynamic ball player he was back when he was by far and away the best lock in the game in fantasy footy. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to to see him get to the same heights he has achieved in fantasy footy before, but I still think he's going to come in because he's got the skill set. Like the amount of times that he can hit a half gap and just pop an offload off and you know create an opportunity for someone else, he's got very surprisingly good hands for someone his size and some of that, I guess, looks as sort of gangly as he does like he really does distribute the ball um quite well so fantasy wise i think he will come good at the chiefs um but i do think he will take a bit of time to get back up to speed with how i guess intense uh, super rugby is and how intense the test rugby arena was compared to his time in japan yeah i think that's a very valid point in um in japan he would have been having a great old time and um it wouldn't be too tough on the body a lot, lot of mm. a lot of like conditioning training just getting fit enough but you just don't take those hard knocks um anywhere like you will in super rugby so um very good point um all right well who are we up to uh rev do you want to take us through the back rowers um one of the one of the two positions in fantasy where you get to pick four in your team and so uh one of the most important um how do you how did that shape up back row is one of the best uh areas i think because for me there was at least six standouts going into the draft so i thought yeah really set here this will go great 
uh, ended up with none of them. So Trafford went really poorly in that regard. But really, if you had the the options of Hoskins Satutu, Adi Sevilla, Luke Jacobson, Shannon Frizzell, Akira Ioane and um, Harry Wilson, you wouldn't be upset with any of them as your um, you know, first choice back row. They're, they're a really good set of options. So I think that's a nice um, a group of players to choose from. And the nice thing is there's actually quite a decent, um, I guess, group in the step below. Like even your Pete Summers, your Hoopers, um, the Sower Coolers, the, you know, there's a whole heap of players that are sort of great picks in their own right. So to me, there was no really um, bad pick you could have made for your first back role. But I, I think still the standouts are Artie Sevilla, recently renamed captain, Hoskins Satutu just keeps um, carving it up at uh, all black level and at blues level. And also probably Luke Jacobson, who now doesn't have the competition of Lachlan Boshier. He's not taking one of the back row positions. And he's just shown that when he strings games together, he's an absolute freak. Um, you know, some really nice involvements um, at the Chiefs and the All Blacks. So, yep, um, I'm looking at the list and nearly in tears because I've got none of them. And I just know my players are going to struggle up against them. So, yeah, there's there's the back rowers for us. I thought the biggest thing was it dropped off pretty pretty heavily in the back half of the back rowers. But how much yeah. do you, Crags, reckon Akiri, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Artie Sevilla's high rating in this? And don't get me wrong, he's always going to be rock solid. But I, I'm hearing about him going, Rev, I think, in one of your drafts in the, the eighth or ninth overall pick. How much is his rating based off his 2019 form? So his average last year was 33. 2020 was 31. 2019 was 52 points. And then the year before that, 39. So I guess my worry is he's probably not nearly as good as what he used to be, but he's still been rated as arguably the best back rower in the game. Um, look, I think he is still one of the best back rowers of the game. Um, From a fantasy that, perspective, sorry. Yeah, no, I think he still has absolutely potential to to do that, to have a 50-point average again. You know what I mean? It's um, I think in those two last seasons... They were both disrupted seasons, but one of them he was he was injured a lot, a, a fair bit of it, I think. In the second one, he kind of I, I remember distinctly remember I, I had him in my fantasy team, and you were um, giving it to me, of course, uh, every every day about how oh he's in, he's injured, he's washed up, Artie Severe, it's all done. Uh, no, okay, that's I'll take it a bit far there, but um, uh, and then he did come good, so um, he did start put, pulling a string of games together. So I don't, I mean, look, if he's fit and healthy, um, I mean, I don't think anyone would question that Artie's you know, one of the best couple, like top five back rowers in the world rugby. Um, yeah. So I think he definitely still could could produce a 40 to 50 point average uh, capable of doing that this year. Um, but I agree. The numbers don't support that as much for the last two years, Harry. And as Harry drafts purely uh, unemotionally just off the numbers, um, unlike I just pick everything off uh, gut instinct. But um, yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, but look, I mean, he's cap- he's captaining. He's really going to play a lot of minutes, I think, to lead that team around. Um, Duplessis Karifi, as we say every week, will you know be off the field more than he's on the field um, from seeing the cheese every you know every game. Um, so but when those add up, eventually he'll get a suspension for ten weeks or something. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah, and what, and what excites me with the back rows, I agree. There is, there did feel like a bit of a drop off. There's a few people who might come completely out of the blue. Um, I mean, we'll talk about them later, but. The point for me that's exciting is the inclusion of the Fijian Drua and the Moana Pacifica team because their entire forward packs, apart from the front row, are basically back rowers, um, and <laughs> they they will all be amazing. So I remember going through the Drua side, and after the front row, they don't really have locks. You know what I mean? They just have like 
10 number eights really in their in their yeah. team and so we just got to wait to see who's who's playing and i'm sure they'll all come good so it's got to be Duranalangi and uh Freak and Devetta, i think surely the between Moana Pacifica and Fiji Drua surely yeah no let's go scrum halves yep i've got uh Tate McDermott clear standout i don't think we're telling anyone anything they don't know eight points better than the next best halfback Jake Gordon who is is he the captain of the Tars again this year? Yep, captain of the Tars. Yeah, so, I mean, he should play every minute, and I don't think his competition's very close to take minutes off him either. And then Aaron Smith, he's obviously the best, if maybe arguably the second best, but probably the, one of the best halfbacks of all time, number one. But I just remember a couple of years ago, he had a th- about a 39 average, and he just blew the fantasy season away as well. Mm-hmm. So not only is he actually ranked third on average, but he's actually got growth in his game beyond that as well, which I think really pushes him up there. And then the other one that I would just put a slight mention to, despite being out for the first four weeks or so, has got to be TJ Perinara as well. 42 average uh, in a couple of years ago when he played last, which it puts him up there as the second overall halfback if he can reproduce that kind of form as well. Yeah, agreed. And he, um, as I mentioned, I mean, obviously, Harry, we were talking about this before, Rev, just putting out in the universe a player that's in a fantasy team. If you keep putting his name out, eventually it'll come good. So Harry's hoping that um, Richie Moanga and uh, TJ Perinara just come back to play much sooner rather than later. But, I mean, TJ, what we definitely said all a lot, uh, sorry, in the preseason was, you know, they don't have Bowden Barrett at 10. So there's times they've thrown TJ in at 10 before. And he really, if he wasn't carrying the team before, he'd be carrying the team now. Um, so... He's going to see it as an opportunity to play nine and ten. I think doesn't matter who's next to him. <laughs> He's going to do a lot more ball playing, so it will be very yeah. good. But, um, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to before we let Rev start talking about Tate McDermott for the next um, ten minutes. Let's uh, move on to fly halves. So, um, Rev, do you want to take us through the the fly halves again? Pretty easy choice at the the top choice. Absolutely, James O'Connor. Um, we're going the Reds combo, aren't we? Surely, <laughs> Tate and James. Um, Look, James ranks highly, but of course, uh, Richie Moanga is unparalleled. He's just a freak. Um, I, I don't think if there's a person, you know, that you could choose to have in your team and they're guaranteed to play, he just sticks out so clearly because you see flashbacks every time you think of his name of just beating defenders with ease, um, sort of dancing down sidelines. Um, he's actually improved his goal kicking a lot too, which helps a lot for his score because he, you know, used to put a fair few uh, off to the side. And I think also just with the rated tries that, Crusaders score, it's pretty handy having, you know, someone be able to knock over at least 80% of the kicks. But, um, yeah, between Richie, uh, James O'Connor and Joshua, you've got some really nice, exciting options there. Um, this is a big call for Joshua to be the third fly half here, guys. Who's hey, I, I didn't type the list. I'm no, reading Kagi, wow. Okay, did you pick up Joshua Kagi, can you please tell us now? <laughs> I did not. I did not. But he, he, <laughs> was the th- he was the third pick. To, I wanted to. Uh, he was the third pick 10 in our, uh, in our mm. draft, so. We didn't give Rev. I'm not sure if he, but where he went in Revs, but um, uh, he was I, our fourth pick because we had Bowden Barrett in there above. And again, he's, he's a bit of a risky option because he's had some awesome seasons in previous years. Hmm. Uh, he's also done um, a lot of nice play, but probably not as well in the fantasy side compared to your players like Richie. So, yeah. um, look, I've got no issue with Joshua being in there, but I'll probably say him in the same breath as your um, as your Bowden Barrett's and nearly in the same breath as your Noel Lolasios as well. Players that, you know, if they get a lot of minutes should play quite well. But again, it's just, it's that drop down. Um, Rich is just such a clear and away number one pick that if you don't end up with him and no one else is taking a fly, you can sort of leave them for a little bit. Interestingly for me, Richie Moana had his best season ever on average last year. 56 average was the highest he's ever been. He had a couple of seasons at 54 before that. And 
Brody Barrett, where he slots in, before he left to Japan, he actually had a 49-point average. So that puts him 16 points above James O'Connor in second place for the uh, fly halves last year as well. So I, I think, you know, surely he has to be up there as one of the tops. It's just clearly the, the little bit of a worry about concussion, which, I mean, they keep talking up is not a big worry, but that, yeah. that's got to be a make or break for him. I think fantasy managers have been scarred by a concussion in the last few years where some players are, you know, say they're coming back and they don't for a long time. But, yeah, yeah look, I definitely, I think we're all talking in terms of fantasy and I know there is, you know, for the last couple of years, there's been ongoing Richie Moanga versus Bowden Barrett discussions in the uh, in the All Blacks. Um, and I still firmly stand as Bowden Barrett is my number 10. He's uh, the best 10 in the world as far as I'm concerned. But from a fantasy perspective, I don't think he's going to get back to that 50-point average. There's just um, different, even though the, the Blues are just as full of weapons as the Crusaders are, kind of like different roles the way they play. Like Richie, I just don't see Bowden taking it to the line the same way Richie does. Um, I mean, Rev was talking about moments that stand, like players that stand out and Richie Moanga, none more other than Richie Moanga. I think there's, you know, one of the highlights they show is Richie Moanga, he, a kickoff to himself, regathering re- at the 10-metre line and then like literally stepping down through tackle, half the 10. He gets to the five-metre line himself, you know. <laughs> like there's no better fantasy highlight than that. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. But I, I think the whole hype around Joshuani is because we've seen glimpses of... of um, you know, little bits of uh, Rich Moana-style game from Joshuani. And what we're hoping is that he's given the freedom that um, we've come to know in the Chiefs um, to really kind of um, express himself and push that forward. So uh, I think I'm certainly expecting huge things from Joshuani this year. Um, whether or not whether or not it's valid to say, um, you know, it's going to be better than Bowden Barrett, I don't know. But um, I think I he's in a big the- battle against Bryn Gatlin from what we've seen in the trials. They're really letting them share the time. Like it's not a foregone conclusion. That he starts. That's my worry. If he starts, I want him in my team. Yeah. But uh, that, that's the question mark at this point of the season. Absolutely fair. All right. Um, well, that takes us on to centres. And um, speaking of Ioannis, uh, Rico Ioani. So, I mean, I touched on this earlier when we get named our top three fantasy um, picks and Rev brought home um, Rico Ioani. Uh, I, I think it was a very tough decision here between Quinn Tupaya and uh, Rico Ioani. Tupaya had an absolutely like stellar um, standout year last year in fantasy um, and just an absolute weapon. I think he probably won't do it as much this year, but for the Chiefs last year, um, he was absolutely killing it at centre, but they would also then push him out to the wing so they would never take him off, which was awesome. Um, and he has, you know, the pace for wing, the power in its centre, runs these awesome lines. So he's very good. But um, Rico Iwani, I mean, yeah, they're, for mine, there just isn't a, player more exciting to watch um and it will be interesting to see yeah he, he definitely doesn't score as well at center at 13 that he did at wing um but i think he's well and truly made 13 his position now he's really stepped up trying to lock that in in the all blacks so um uh we'll see see if he can even go even further now with a little bit more experience at the 13 jersey under his belt um so he's pretty big so him and Tupaya. then we have david havili Anton Leonard Brown and Braden Enor. I'm just going to read them all off. Um, Avili's interesting one as well. Fantasy managers will know him well, uh, starting at fullback for the Crusaders for a couple of years. Absolutely killing it. Definitely does not score anywhere like that um, in an inside centre. A lot more of a kind of ball playing role, a lot less kick returns and line breaks and, and whatnot. Um, so it, it's it's a tough 
it's cash 22 with fantasy with Habili, but um, 27 average at center last year, like it was very average for a player that that's, played as well as he did, exactly. And that's from someone who's probably had a 50 point average in, at, at fullback, you know, so, yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's a bit tough. And then, um, Rev, what do you think of Anton Leonard Brown and Braden Eno? I think ALB is just absolutely consistent, but um, what yeah. do you make of them? Yeah, ALB, uh, I think he's some of the if I can get my hands on him, you know. Within the first fifteen picks, I would, you know, he's he's a really um, strong center in my opinion, just because he does all the things he really likes, really safe defensively. So that's always a nice thing. But loves an offload, loves putting through his uh, wing. So I think that's a nice touch. Uh, Braden Enor, pile of dog shit. Um, yeah, don't think he's. <laughs> uh, oh wait, sorry. It's wow. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, just had a bit of static come through there. Uh, d- pile of dog shit. I'll just get that a little clearer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now he he to me is someone that will benefit if he gets game time but i don't think he's as good as good when he comes back i don't think he's as damaging as lester fanganuku i think he's really quick so he's got that for him and he relies on someone putting him in a hole um outside of that he's someone that has yeah just has some weeks if he has everything go his way he does well but he's had some really shockingly low rounds i've had mates had him get single digit scores when he's played the full 80 so to me, he doesn't rank as highly, but um, just yeah. A, just a man making up the numbers and the benefit of the Crusaders' backline. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. This is good. Getting some opinions from uh, from, from Rev. Um, Strong look, opinions. Hey, had, I had to perk up for one of them. You know, I had to get get revved up for one. How, how's this? The reason I think Tapai is going to be the clear top centre, mm. he played, he's played for more than 60 minutes in only five games last year. Round one... He only got seven points. Other than that, when he played more than 60, his scores were 45, 75, 59, and 44. The bloke will score through the roof this year because he is starting every single week. If he doesn't have a high 40s average, I'll be shocked, mainly because he does the uh, the Pattaya role and just throws an offload into contact every single time someone puts a hand on him. But the thing is he's stick more, much more often than Pattaya. That's it. I think it's, he's actually, you'd have to say the closest thing to, um, well, despite him not offloading, but uh, Nani Lamape in terms of often, more often than not, 12s don't score particularly well. And yeah. Lamape of the, the minibus obviously did, you know, one way, which was just running over absolutely everyone. And not only can Tapia seem to bump off people, I'm not sure quite in the same league of Lamape, but um, you're right, Harry, he is as keen for an offload as Jordan Pattaya, um has been his whole career. So huge. Outside backs to round us off. Sounds good. Rev, you're the you're the guest, mate. Do the honors. With the outside backs, we've touched on a few of them. Um, Will Jordan, like he just is a, is a freak. He's I think the only thing we'll mention tonight that's better than Kagi's mustache. So I think Jordy, um, you know, he, he's got um, his work cut out for him to try and get next to him. Jordy Barrett, he's, he's probably next in line for my opinion. But Will Jordan's just such a clear cut option. So if you don't end up with him, Jordy Barrett's great. Sevier Reese is great. Um, Atene Nano Saturu, Celesi Rayasi, uh, Caleb Clark. We've got sort of this rise of the sevens wingers coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really quite a lot of nice wings. And I think in previous years, uh, there's been a lot of people pretty keen to get fullbacks just for the advantage they have of the run meters uh, bringing the ball back and potential breaks that come with that. But yeah, just some powerhouse wingers uh, this year. It'll really just be a battle of who gets the most minutes, uh, both at the Blues and Crusaders, to I see who goes. 
How many did you really want in your team? How many outside backs? I had, uh, if I pull up my list, I think I had about seven that I was, you know, really keen on getting. That's hard um, when 24 are going to get picked. Yeah. Actually, yeah, no, seven. I, I had uh, all the ones just listed, uh, but I also had Filippo Dungunu. I think without um, Vinavalu there for the start of the season, he sort of seems like the only outside back that's a lock at the moment uh, for the Reds. So, um, And I he's also a Reds player. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure this will make um, Rev happy. I'm sure you've heard it on previous podcasts, but uh, Vunavalu would have been right up there for my uh, for my outside backs. I yeah. I've wanted him in my fantasy team for so long. Um, I just think he's the type of player who's going to you know top charts. Like he, no, uh, no one could score tries like that man can. So um, the hard thing is, is picking a bloke that's had a torn hamstring for two years now or eighteen months now. <laughs> like you basically. Backing him to work out what the hell is wrong with his collagen, like that's that's that advancement in modern science is not where I want to put my uh, my fantasy hopes. No, that's it. Look, I made a decision. We discussed before the pod. I made a decision this year to not pick any injured players, just to pick entirely speculative players that might not even start. Yep. So, um, but I think look, we're all we can all agree we're just waiting to see who starts on the wings for the Fiji and Drua and the minor Pacifica team. Really, that's. Um, yep. <laughs> that's right. That's how we're putting uh, our money. That's yeah, looking forward to trade night. That's that's all we could say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think look, lots of um, lots of sevens players, um, and they've most of them have come really, really good, haven't they? So I think who who which of them are we most excited? Well, I guess we're going to get to, it, but which of them are we most excited to see like rise this year in terms of the outside backs? I think I think we kind of all touched on Salisi Rayasi. We think has the potential to you know Caleb Clark. We've seen have a big year, not really last year, but the year before. That Rayasi, this could be his year to really come out and shine and, and um, show his potential. Is that what is that what you guys think? I thought Rayasi's year to shine was last year. So it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, you don't think he's got he's got more of a ceiling to go to? I mean, like he he was the equal top outside back last year. I, I don't know that he's. I don't think he's going to clear Will Jordan. Put it that way. But he's amazing. He'll, he'll be one of the top again. He's a he's a freak. But, yeah, I think he's already there. I think if there was going to be a breakout star this year, it's probably Lester Fenger and Nuku, but he's just got to hold down the competition. That's his big problem. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, I think that firmly takes us through to I, – I think I may have forgotten how well Rousey scored, actually, now just, just having a look at it. But um, that takes us into biggest value increases, speaking of Lester Fyinger Nuku, who for me last year in fantasy was the gift that just kept on giving. Uh, I picked him up very early. Everyone told me he would never play and never start, and he just kept playing all year. It was the best. Um, but certainly his stocks have risen enormously. Um, it's just, mate, it's tough being an outside back in the Crusaders team. He's, he's, we're saying his stocks have risen, you know, he's one of the, the biggest rising players this year, and yet there's still, you know, three out, all blacks outside backs in the Crusaders he's got to contend with. So... The fact that we we all probably think that he's going to hold one of them out is, um, I mean, that's huge, isn't it? So um, does Rev think that as well? I know you and I do, Craig. Sorry, yeah, that's we've, I might have jumped the gun there. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm in agreement so far. I, I, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll save my next perk up for when I, was, but I, no, I'm in agreement so far. Okay, all right, I like it. Um, all right, well, Harry, why don't you take us through what we we've discussed as the biggest value increases in 2022, and this is relative to last year, right? So players from last year. Biggest value increase um, in 2022. Yeah. Well, num- number one, very clear, no surprises, Angus Bell, because we think he's the number one overall pick in the competition. Two years ago, he was a 24-point average. Now he's a 61-point average, and he's the best 
player in the game, in my opinion. So <laughs> I think it's hard to top that. Silesia Rayasi was my second. He had a 45-point average last year. I think we were calling him as one of our big smokies that we thought could come through and have a huge year. I think we put it put our name on him. So we'll give us all a pat on the back. And, Rev, you can have Nelson's pat on the back. Um <laughs> He's huge. So he he went very early um, and uh, and deserves to, I think. And then the next one I had there was Quinn Tapira as well, who I've talked about. I think he'll be the first centre. He was ranked first overall at 48 average, but I think uh, he'll go higher. 38 average, I think he was, sorry. So he'll go higher than that this year for sure. And the the next couple of players, the next one particularly, um, Harry, he may be in your fantasy team, but Rev um, mentioned him pre uh, pre the podcast. Rev, you saw Dalton Papali'i as... Um, having a huge value increase this year. Yeah, he's had such a benefit from some of the uh, departures from the Blues, but also his ascension to captain. Um, I I think he really established himself as being able to play seven at an all-blacks level. At the start of the year, I didn't think he could really cut it as an all-black seven, Um, but he just got continued game time. And he was someone that I probably thought about as being the ideal number 20 option because he can cover six, seven, eight. He was so good off the bench, high impact. But I think this year with the captain's armband, no Blake Gibson, uh, only really Adrian Choate and Anton Sagner to compete with. He should just be, yeah, skyrocketing up your list of back rowers that you want in your team. Yeah, he's got an absolute mortgage on the jersey this year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you don't name someone captain and then not play them, do you? Oh, actually, although we, we could have said that for Blake Gibson, wasn't there a while that yeah. Blake Gibson was captain? And <laughs> we're like, mm, not really going to play him. But, um, yeah. but speaking of someone who you didn't think was up to all-black calibre, um, but then very clearly showed he was, uh, I've just realised I've got to take this opportunity with a guest on the pod um, to see if your opinion falls more more in line with Harry Nelson's or mine in terms of, um, but Sam Kane, yeah, just just the All Blacks captain, but you know, isn't it isn't a particularly worthwhile seven according to Harry and Nelson? Um, He's in the top ten sevens in New Zealand, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> how do, how do you feel on on Sam Kane, uh, Red? I, I was split. I think as a player, definitely starting seven for Chiefs, definitely starting seven for uh, All Blacks. You know, given the available options, but. Uh, I don't care about that for the All Blacks. I care about fantasy um, at the moment. So Lachlan Boshier is the number one option. It's a shame that he's uh, left for, uh, I guess, greener pastures and um, get a bit more money in Japan. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm i halfway in between because Kane is a, a freak player, but he does not bring home the bacon like old Lockie Boshier did. Would you start him over Artie Sevilla at the All Blacks? Uh, depends if they go Artie at eight. In I think in my ideal back row, I'd probably have, um, I mean, it, it's a bit out there, but Akira, Artie, and Satutu. I, I like that sort of combination and just get some really nice damaging runners. I think we um, all agree with you, mate. That's why yeah. we put so much on Sam Kane. <laughs> Look, it's uh, tough. Though. Like, they've got options out the reserve. Like, we're not even mentioning Frizzell or um, Jacobson or Blackadder coming through. Like, it's it's disgusting how many options they could choose. <clears throat> yeah. It is. That's the operative word, disgusting, really. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right, and otherwise, we've had biggest value increases. Brody Retallick simply by virtue of coming back to play, um, you know, instant first pick in the locks. Obviously, we had some people depart. We had um, Patrick Tupolotto and who who have been, I guess we could just say we've had some locks be put into their proper positions, like Fergus Lee Warner, who was a great mm-hmm. fantasy scoring lock, but he's now is a back rower. Um, I feel like there's been a, a lock in the past couple of years that, has taken off. It was an absolute fantasy gun, but I can't think of one. So Fergus Lee was first on a 40 point average. Then Lucan Salakaloto 35, Sam Whitelock 32, and then it yep. dropped all the way down to Tua Pilotto on 25. So now there's no one else there. It's um, mm-hmm. the Fergus Lee want to change to a, a Lucy. I think is the big, big one for sure. 
Yeah, and we discussed Brady Retallick, but I mean, look back twenty eighteen, he had a forty four point eight average, so um, you know, huge. Um, he doesn't have to be that good to still be the top lock. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, um, and lastly, uh, Harry, I think you already mentioned him, but Lester Fyinganuku. Oh, sorry, we all I think we all talked about him, but um, yeah, we we all see him getting a lot of minutes. It just uh, how that plays out will be constantly on uh, every Crusader fantasy owner's mind. Um, so. Yeah. Now, all right. Um, biggest drop in value. Um, I can't believe we've got some Crusaders in here, but um, Harry, why don't you rip into the biggest value drops? I'm going to go with uh, George Bridge as my biggest. He was one of the best outside backs in the game. He was probably a top round pick, a pick, a first choice pick a couple of years ago. He got picked in 65th and 67th in our respective drafts on this podcast. He went from a 45-point average last uh, two years ago to a 23-point average last year, and all of a sudden no one had any faith in the fact that he's ever going to start again, despite being the all-black starting winger last year. We all here think Lester Fangaranuk is going to get picked above him, so Razor knows something that no one else does. Um, but... What a phenomenal person to pick up at 65th or 67th, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to sneak him at about 75th and didn't quite make it happen. Uh, the other one I had, sorry? I was just going to say, I think you nailed it. Razor, didn't he? T- he turned down a job from um, from Munster uh, because I'm sure he thinks um, Fozzie's just one year away from getting kicked out of the All Blacks job and um, he's just waiting for the phone call, really. And he'll bring Lester Fyanganuku with him. So that's that's right. He'll be the starting winger. And then I had Ofatunga Fase. Um, went from. I think the second top prop lasted a couple of years ago to 158th pick in our draft. And obviously, Nepo Lalala has just crushed him as a fantasy player. So disappointing to see. If Nepo goes down, all of a sudden, he could be the second best prop in the game again. But um, phenomenal player, crushed by the game time, lucky game time that he's getting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, and Rev, who else? We have some other players in here as well that we think, uh, or who else do you think has a, the biggest value drop? Yeah, the, the two others that came to mind were Tom Christie, who just really has the unfavorable position of trying to compete with two All Blacks and a Puma captain or ex-captain. So yeah, really tough gig for him. He'll get a bit of a chance at the start, but he was someone that cemented himself as one of the best tacklers in the comp. You know, he'd routinely go 18-plus without missing. Um, and could also run the ball. He's got a few nice tries just hovering out on the fringes, but I think with him sort of competing with Pablo Matera now, it's a real drop for him. Uh, but Flaufoenga, really tough for him to be in a group with three Wallabies hookers. I still think he's the best of the options, and I think he starts, but he's not getting the maybe 70 minutes he would have a few seasons ago. That dropped down to the sort of mid-60s and um, you know even late 50s last year. It could go down even more this year when they just try and sprinkle that game time across all three. So, yeah, those two had a massive drop for me this year. And I'm happy to say I don't think I have any of them in my uh, in my main team. Yeah. Excellent. That's Well, that's all that matters, really. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, th- I think they're all good picks, to be honest. you just got to get them at the right time. Like, if you're ja- jagging Tom Christie as 112th pick, I'd take that any day. That's fantastic at 112. I, he is better than all of my back rowers <laughs> So maybe yeah, I should be upset. <laughs> I mean, um, we haven't we haven't talked about the fact yet that you're about 15 cruises deep on your draft, and that might reflect some of your choices. Yeah, it started strong, but the picks went very quickly downhill. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get to that on uh, draft tactics. I you think talk so. about how you guys decided to to, to layer in that uh, that element of your draft. Ran out of Milton Mango straight into the cruises. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I think with, with Flower for Anger, it's interesting. Like, he, you know, has been one of all of our favourite players, but he hasn't showed us anything, you know, in the last year or so, I was going to say. And, and I'm now on the Nos Lonigan train. First of all, his nickname is Nos, which I say every time is the greatest name ever. But, um, you know, he's someone I want to see really get a lot of game time. So I agree with Rev in that Flower's definitely still the best pick in the, the Brumbies. But, um, yeah, huge value drop for Flower Fingers. So, yeah. Um, all right, Harry, do you want to take us through the the Volp, the, the biggest difference between first and last choice? Um, something I know you spend a long time getting in your spreadsheet of spreadsheets for the draft um, while the rest of us just, you know, use yes. our gut. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this, this is just for listeners that haven't drafted yet, really. But the value of the last pick, so all you do is you look at the average of the top player in the position, and then you compare that to the last player that will be picked in the starting side for that position. So, for instance, in the outside backs, there's going to be three in each team, eight managers, that's 24 outside backs picked. So you compare the difference in average between the first outside back and the 24th outside back. And essentially that gives you a bit of an idea of how congested the players are in each position, which will give you a good idea of exactly where you might want to spend your time drafting. So for the props, I've got the uh, Angus Bell is the top. He's got a 42-point vault to the eighth prop. So very, very spread out, and it shows you why we value him so high. Hookers, we've got Cody Taylor at 20 points, so less than half, and a good reason to why no one picked up any hookers after Taylor was gone. Locks, you got Brody Retallick, but we don't really have an average for him, so we've gone Lucan Salakai Lotto, only 15 points. Again, shows you exactly why no one wanted any locks in the entire draft this year. Yep. Uh, the back row, Hoskins to 2-2, 25 points between the first and 24th back rower. So very, very narrow. And Craggs, do you want to take us through the back so they don't have to hear my voice too much? Sure. Also, I thought you were going to pick me so that um, Rev didn't get another chance to talk about Tate McDermott. So t- uh, scrum halves, Tate McDermott, uh, 24 points above the top and the bottom scrum half. Um, so around the same as back rowers, but um, yeah, Tate's a long way above the, the next option. Um, fly halves, Richie Moe, uh, 34 points um, between the top and the bottom. So that one's a biggie. Is that one worth uh, the possible possibility of Richie Munger not playing six weeks? We'll see. But um, it's still Harry's, twelve wins I can get from him. Um, well, all right. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but that's pretty big for for fly halves. Um, and bring it home for us, Rev centers and outside backs. Yeah, Quintapire coming in. Um, only a difference of eighteen points, so not a massive drop, and definitely a, a reason that's you know strategically you might leave him for a little bit. Um, but you know, hopefully expecting some big things from him. Uh, and Will Jordan, so only a difference of 22 points uh, just with some of the rise of other players. But when you look at how how ridiculously meteoric his um, his rise was and how many points he can get, you know, you still take him early, but it shows the drop-off isn't too crazy. Um, there's still a lot of good outside backs to choose from. That's it. I feel like I think we all said there's probably there was only seven, seven or eight outside, seven, eight outside backs we all really wanted in our fantasy team and probably mm-hmm. felt similarly for, for back rowers. So... I think the Volp is just really indicative of those top few players, um, you know, whether whether it's worthwhile nabbing them or not. So, um, yeah, all right. Um, and moving us along, uh, Smokies. I think let's just quickly touch on a couple of um, players n- that we haven't mentioned already, really, that we think could come out of nowhere and um, give us an epic score in uh, epic fantasy scores in 2022. So, um, Harry, do you want to just rip in to the... First. Yep. Will Harrison, first one for me. 
injured for a week or two with an AC joint injury, could play fullback, could play 10. Um, he was a second-ranked fly half last year and he went 149th for us. So I think he's a very good smoky. Um, maybe not the top, top, top of the pile, but I think he's a fantastic low-value pick in a lot of drafts. The one that I'm going to go for, you know, the breakthrough smoky of the year, I'm going to say Devin Flanders, um, mainly because I'm starting to get the feeling that he might actually start. And if he does start, he's an absolute weapon. And uh, I picked him up as my fourth back rower just in the hope that we kind of got that value out of him. But I, I actually genuinely believe if he starts, he could be a top eight back rower, maybe higher, who knows. So very excited to see what he can do. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, if, if I had to go two from the um, Smokies, it, it's Ethan DeGroote. Like he called out Taniela Tupo. You don't do that without backing it up. So I think he's really yeah. got to step up. <laughs> He, he needs to show that he can do that week in, week out. And he's also someone that probably didn't get, um, you know, all his own way last year, had to compete for the starting jersey. I think this year it's pretty much sewn up for him, given he's uh, all black now. So if he didn't go early, he probably should. Um, but one of the others, Levi Amour, um, you know, just music to the ears of people that have him in the fantasy team, hoping that he does well when he gets, uh, ends up getting a crack. But he's just a monster. Like he's bigger than a lot of the front rowers for other teams. And, He's just a wrecking ball when he carries. Um, he's, he's a lot more experienced than he lets on. I think he's 27 or 28 this year. So he's been around a bit. He's done a bit of club rugby and he's been, I think, in two or three super rugby squads. I think this is a chance for him to really break out and show that, you know, he can mix it with everyone. He just needs um, to be given the time. That's it. And he's been part of a few really successful, like, Tasman teams in the last few years, I think. Um, so someone we definitely want to see have a good crack. But um do you think Ethan DeGroote just got given all-black selection purely on the basis of calling out Tanya Tupo? Do you think they just went, oh, well, if he's yeah. got the balls to do that, we'll, we'll put him in. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, for me, look, a couple, well, we've touched on a few of them um, before the pod, but Chase Tia Tia, I think everyone can agree, extremely exciting player, was out at the back of the Hurricanes for a while last year. We were really hoping he'd blow onto the scene in a big way at the Chiefs, but really, really filled that utility back role um, and just kind of slotted in off the bench. So this year, without Damien McKenzie, um, it, he possibly could make that 15 jersey his own. And if he does start getting some major minutes, he's a player um, who might make some awesome kick returning runs, um, can just find gaps and whatnot. So could be a huge year for Chase Tia Tia. Um, similarly, I'm going to pick one more player, Marino Michaeli Tuu, um, who, again, putting out the universe in my fantasy team. Um <laughs> I think just two years ago, you know, was well on his way to being one of the, the top back rower of the fantasy season almost, like had such huge scores. Um, last year, they interestingly didn't tell us, but he was kind of just injured throughout all season, which is why I didn't see a lot of game time. And when he did, was not 100% for some reason. So, um, But he looks back and fit on the park um, and hopefully can retake that starting eight jersey and, and be the... Uh, the prince that was promised. Um, I'm going to re-take that name from Jordan Willisi and now give that to uh, Marino Michele too. So, um, yeah. Any other players we want to touch on in, in Smokies for the year? Uh, my other one was uh, Napoleone Mbalatha. So, should play fullback, I think. Could play a little bit of 10 or 12, but should play fullback uh, potentially all season long in my eyes. But dynamic counter-attacker, which we know is going to be a big part of their, their game and can also set up tries, put people through holes, step people, break tackles. He just has a plethora of ways that he can score points. So excited to see how high he can go. 
Yeah. And what about you, Rev? I'll, I'll throw in Ruben Love. I yeah, I think the big hindrance for him is he won't be the goal kicking option of the Hurricanes. But if he starts, he's got such a nice running game. Uh, he's so quick. And, you know, with the increase in, you know, try assists being worth six points, he's only got to be putting, you know, Peter Munger Jensen through a few holes or, you know, getting Rousey out in the wing and he's, you know, suddenly getting quite a nice score about him. So, yeah, Ruben Love jumps up um, the list quite highly for me. Absolutely. It just cutouts to Rousey all day. But, um, no, no, it's in terms of being a young 10 coming through, like, you, you know, probably don't have a better opportunity than at the Hurricanes at the moment, you know. Since Bowden's left, they haven't had anyone to lock that. Jersey down, and we just give uh, Jackson gun batch of shit uh, every season. So, um, you know, <laughs> we're waiting for him to be replaced, really. But, um, but yeah, okay, excellent. Um, well, with that, let's uh, let us kick on to da 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 deserto. What's a god do with that deserto? And Harry, what are we talking about for dessert? Uh, just a whole host of stuff, Matt. It's a smorgasbord for dessert tonight. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll just push through it, I reckon, rather than uh, give, give too much of a preview so people can just see it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, we're going to start with Rev just kind of outlining for those that do want to play um, with the draft rugby system so the stats really mean something when we're, when they listen along and when they make their picks. I think Rev had done the analysis to see what the uh, FRD Fox Sports system has in terms of uh, differences to the draft rugby system that we conventionally have used. Yeah, uh, we got a message from uh, Dave in the group chat, actually, who had done some of the digging and seen that uh, the offloads were only worth two points in FRD's uh, Fox version, which is um, you know a, a draft rugby spin-off, we'll say. And that's compared to the four points that they'd normally be worth um, using um, the system we're used to. So I think that's a, a big tell. So the points would come out quite different if you're you know, sort of banking on some of these uh, drill players to come in and just deliver some mammoth scores. Um, the other big change is penalties. Instead of being the negative four, uh, the FID system has them down as negative two. And the difference for that is um, it's clearly going to make a big difference to your open side flankers and props that, you know, might not be the best scrummages. So suddenly Duplessis Karifi might look like a, an okay option if you're um, using that system. But yeah, two things to look out for because the offloads and penalties, as long as if it's a one-point change, a two-point change makes quite a difference, especially how quickly some players rack those up. So definitely something to look out for as you're um, trying to compare points across the systems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people are looking at PG and Drua players for offloads <laughs> specifically. Yeah. So um, very good shout there. Um, all right, well, Harry, why don't you, do you want to run us through some of the, the draft? I mean, I think, a lot of people will have thought of a lot of these things, but if you if you haven't, if you've got your draft coming up uh, and you want to just, I guess, base your your draft off a few couple a couple of principles, um, these are some overarching draft strategies or tactics for the 22 season. So, Harry, do you want to run us through them? Yeah. So the, the first one for me, I guess, is a two-parter that kind of links together. So for the first time, I think, ever, all the bye weeks are in round seven, eight, and nine of this competition. So in those three weeks, four teams will have a bye each. Um, I'm, I suspect that they're going to try and make up some of these COVID delayed games in that time, to be honest, as well. Um, but they'll be part of the normal game weeks for us regardless. Because of that, that means that with a full squad of 23 players, a bench man on each position, you can actually carry injuries a lot easier for longer than ever. 
So rather than a four-week injury being a dire thing to try and hold of, take a hold of, particularly at the start of the season, you can get through that as long as your three starting player outside backs, you know, don't get injured. You could take Vunabalu and hope that he's back in round five and actually have no damage done for someone that's a potentially incredibly damaging outside back. My thinking exactly for someone like Richie Mawonga, just loosely off my head, that might be a good example. <laughs> You get another backup fly half. They can get to your rock solid points just for a few weeks. And all of a sudden, Richie Moe is the best scorer in the game. And you're, you're absolutely laughing. So I think that's massive and something that we've never had to consider before. But um, that that's the first thing in terms of the injuries. And then the other one is you've got to try and decide your tactic. Are you going to just go gung-ho at, lose, at picking players from four dominant uh, teams so when that bye week comes around, you just basically forfeit that round, but you've got really deep squads on the other two, or do you try and spread yourself across all the teams and not be too heavily weighted in any one? What I do is I just set up an Excel sheet so it highlights the players they're going to be on buys in each week when I select them so I can try and pick my tactics. For me, I was originally going to uh, spread them all around, but I didn't really take note of it in the first four or five picks, and then I realised every single one was on a buy in round nine. So I just kind of dug deep and thought that that might be my bye week. If I had any close calls, I'll just scrap round nine and make sure that I've got a good side for the other weeks. Hmm. And Rev, what about you? What are your, what were your overarching, your leading principles, if you will, for drafting in 2022? Well, I think for me, what I wanted to try and get was a clear idea of four players I could build the team around. Um, so I knew um, before draft night that I'd be somewhere in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh or eighth drafting from that position that I could get 28 players um, sort of as a top list, I'd get at least four of them. So my my key thing was just picking out the best in each position and then trying to narrow who my ideal was, uh, which was good because that was also the only time I was sober for my second draft. But I was able to get through um, some pretty good ones there. And, and I think trying to look at how big a gap was there between players. So I was able to pick up people like Tate McDermott, who I thought was a clear um, choice for scrum half. Uh, Leonard Brown, who was one of the clear centers, and Takiyahu was one of the clear hookers. So for me, it was just looking at the positions that were really um, not overly deep, I'd say. And it, it might mean missing out on the back rollers and outside backs, which look flashy and obviously get the really high scores. But um, to try and get that point of difference for those positions is definitely a tactic I haven't always employed, but um, one I'm pretty keen to see how it plays out this year. Yeah, nice. Um, I think. For mine, expanding a little bit more on Harry's um, in terms of this being the first time where no buys until round seven, um, the way I actually see that is I didn't even... Um, I, too, also put together the spreadsheet, which shows all the buys, uh, and try desperately normally to not have um, players in the same position in those buy weeks. But the way I see it in round seven is that's so far away that um, I did not even think about the buys and still haven't even looked at if my team overlaps in buys at all because... Um, there will be injuries. There will be, um, you know, COVID delays. There'll be all kinds of things. But um, I think by round seven, um, you know, most most fantasy managers' teams, you probably will have lost at least two or three players to injury by then. Um, and also we'll all know who are the starters and the big guns in uh, Fiji and Drew and Mino Pacifica by then. So um, we'll be ready to pick those those players up. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting, the dynamic uh, of how that's affected things. But... Another thing that you can do, which is fantastic because of that, which you couldn't really do before is um, as a strategy, you can just pick up uh, competing players in a position. So the example I'll give you for, for mine um, that I 
that I did was that I picked up two hookers from the same team. So particularly in the positions which have two players, this is, works really, really well. So scrum halves or whatever. Um, I picked up a Safa Moore uh, very early, and then I also picked up Dane Coles. So I now don't care for the first seven weeks which one of them is starting. Um, I mean, I think Harry talked about earlier that with the Safa Moore, you don't care if he's starting on the bench anyway, but um, just having that certainty. So, I mean, I know Harry picked up both the Hurricanes um, scrum halves. So TJ Perinara, you can hold on to him until he might come back because he picked up Jamie Booth, um, particularly also with Cam Roygaard out injured the third Hurricanes um, scrum half. So really interesting strategies you can do um, around that. Um, did you did you guys employ any of that? Um, did you find anyone did that, Rev, in your drafts? Yeah, I think there were a few. It, it was interesting. I think the, the tactics varied so quickly between um, picks. And the, the funny thing about this is the, the strategy only works sort of, I guess, as well as um, how you predict the draft will go. Because then as soon as certain players start going, yeah. you know, pa- panic stations sort of um, swing into things and, you know, the the best laid plans sometimes come unraveled as early as sort of the third or fourth round. So, um, yeah, definitely there, there was a range of tactics in um, in our, our our two leagues. But I think the ones that probably stood out the most was doubling down on positions just so that you, you forced people into trying to get into those areas. Um, and then also a lot of people hit the positions that don't have a lot of depth. And we covered that before, but positions like scrum half and lock and uh, hooker to an extent fly half, like they really got taken early and you're kind of forced to either double down or leave it to the last minute. And I, I did that in both leagues and, you know, came out pretty poor in those positions and strong <laughs> elsewhere, but it, it's hard to get a level team when you're um, sort of dealing with it. Do you want to do you want to explain what you mean by the double down? Because I think it's a really good tactic for someone that's on a bookend of a snake draft. So the double down, if you're at eight or number one, you might have the option to get a back rower or a center or something like that, um, and you've got the option to take two picks in a row. So you can you know take, for example, two back rowers, and in doing so, you're really forcing the hand of the people next in line because it might only be six in that top tier that we mentioned. If you take a third of that, everyone else is now panicked, saying, "Gee, I need to get one soon." And I wasn't planning to get one for another, you know, 10, 15 picks. So um, I think that's a great strategy to employ if you're in that last position. Uh, but it is one that is also risky because obviously you miss out on a few other positions in doing so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think it, it goes without saying, but it's often, it's hard to uh, remember in the, the heat of battle in the draft uh, as panic stations issue. But um, you, you've got to always be looking at uh, how everyone else's teams are filling out as they're going. So, you know, if um, if everyone has a hooker and you haven't picked one yet, then you can you know you can be pretty sure that, um, despite what I just said about picking two hookers, um, you can be pretty sure that you might um, be all right for for pick, waiting another round, a couple of rounds to pick in that position. So you got to constantly be reevaluating um, and seeing who who is missing something and who can you force into uh, picking with what's left. So yeah, the other two points I had from this one are the the. Injection of the Drua, the Ndrua and Moana Pacifica, I thought, number one, it made it really hard to actually pick players from those sides when they're so unknown. I think in our drive, despite our enthusiasm, we probably only picked one or two of them early. And in actual fact, they ended up the perfect kind of smoky pick late in the draft. So I, I think that will definitely become a bigger thing in the first few rounds of trade night. And the other one for me was the All Black Breast Week, which has been so heavily publicised in the last few years. This year, not talked about so much, but, you know, Rev Rev alluded to it in our uh, pre-pod chat or a pre-show chat as well. 
there has been a few comments to say the players that didn't have as big a workload in the All Black season were allowed to come back and play their first game of a 40-minute allotment in that last trial. So it kind of tells you that it's quite likely that they're going to do what they have in the past, which is 40 minutes round one, 60 minutes round two, 80 minutes round three. The guys that have already played in the trial are probably going to play 60 minutes in round one of Super Rugby Pacific. And the guys that had the big heavy workload that haven't, they're probably only, only going to play 40 minutes in round one. So you might be holding on to Brody Retallick thinking, hell yeah, I'm going to roll him out round one and get a big score. And then he comes off at half time. To me, that's a pretty important one for your round one pick because it can cost you a round. Mm. Absolutely. There was actually there was a brilliant article on stuff.nz um, rugby uh, today from the Crusaders specifically talking about that. So they said, yes, the All Blacks uh, do have in place the 40, 60, 80 minute rule. So for returning All Blacks, 40 minutes first week, 60 second week, 80 the third week. Uh, they did confirm that the trial, trial game counted for those uh, Crusaders All Blacks that had played in the trial game. And so they did, and they did just list um, players that uh, returning all blacks in the crusaders that, you know, people were thinking might not even be considered in round one saying, nope, because if there's such strong competition in the crusaders, every player is considered in round one, but these all blacks, you know, Sever, I just off the top of my head, it was Sever Reese, Whitelock, um, Cody Taylor, all, all of these players will only be allowed to play 40 minutes in the first week. So definitely check that um, article, but um, something huge to keep in mind for sure. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, it was interesting. The Hurricanes, actually, there was an article early in the week that said, like, none of the Hurricanes All Blacks would be playing in the first week, um, which, you know, scared me a little bit. But uh, I'm not sure if that's 100% the case, but um, I'm sure there'll definitely be abiding by that 40-minute rule. If um, So, yeah, that's a, that's a huge one. Now, Harry, do you want to take us through? I mean, I thought we could get through a whole podcast without um, talking about Nelson at all. Um, and, you know, uh, but you've, you've got in here Nelson's duck values, Nelson's system. Do you, do you want to take us through that, Harry? I, I do and I will. But I thought he could have done better with the name. The duck values or the duck scoring system is meant to be his like coup de grace, like the best thing ever. And it just sounds so unattractive and so unappealing. But Look, the DUC values stands for durability, upside and consistency. And it's something that Nelson's used to try and make tough decisions between players that maybe on first glance look quite similar. So durability would be looking at, you know, do they get good minutes week in and week out? Are they playing every week and not being injury prone? Or is there competition for them in that position? So he rates everything out of three. So let's say that they all all of those things, they're they're very favourable. They might get a three out of three for durability. The next one is the upside. So what's their ability to go big in scores? Um, e.g., you know, for example, a, a score of three would be someone that could score like an 80, a 90, or 100 in a single point game, like a Severo Reese might do. Um, whereas someone that's maybe consistently scoring 20s and has a 20 point average might be quite low on the upside score. And then his last one is consistency. So the flip side of the upside score that we just said, you know, 30 point Matt Todd, you kind of knew you were always going to get 30 points from him. So if you've got good upside at 80 points a game and you're going to do that every week, it makes sense that you're going to get a high score on the duck. Um, so that's kind of how we looked at it. And I, I it's a nine point system, but Nelson said he did use a 10 point system. You got one extra point if you are Angus Bell. So obviously not everyone can get that, but it did make one clear top tier player for the duck system as well. Um, so he, he would list basically on his scores next to the players under, under his duck column, the scores cumulatively for durability, upside and consistency, and then the total score. 
So the example that he kind of used was Weber was a two five and a two, I believe, compared to Powell, who was a two. Uh, he can't add up here on his example compared to uh, Powell. So Weber was, I think, an eight all up compared to Powell a six all up because when he looked at him, he basically said. Um, Brad Weber was going to be far more consistent. He doesn't have Te Teora, Tahurirangi competing with him for a position anymore, whereas Joe Powell has two young halves, including I think it's Sarovi that's come down there now to try and take minutes off of him. So the consistency in someone getting good game time, good points, was enough to say that um, that Weber was clearly going to be the more important player, even though they had the same average of, I think it was like 28 points equal um, on his system. So that's Nelson's uh, magic scoring system that I think he's going to rename next year that uh, hopefully for his sake takes off the same way Volk did. Well, uh, if you like our listeners um, and Rev and I, well done if you stayed awake through that. Uh, somehow Nelson, not on the pod, still putting us all to sleep. <laughs> um, but uh, no, good, good on him. Uh, Nelson, I'm sure, has many different systems which um, – uh, he employs every year. Uh, <laughs> none of them are particularly good, but um, you know, it's a good, good show and example, isn't it? Um, do you have any any special system that you chuck into a spreadsheet, Rev, or do you just you wing it, mate? Yeah, I, I keep it pretty separate to my um, podcasting set life. I, I don't tend to go with the head. I, I choose players that I like. Um, you know, I, I enjoy watching. So David Havili goes a lot higher than he probably should in my uh, rankings. Same as a Pete Samu, yeah. um, any Reds player, but. It, <laughs> This system that Nelson uses, I do employ every now and then, especially if it's someone like a, a Josh Iwani or a Noah Lolasio, two really exciting fly-half options. When you look at the upside Iwani has, he's a, a clear winner, but you look at him having four you know, fly-halves in the squad and Noah Lolasio completely by himself at the moment. So um, yeah, it's interesting sort of weighing up those two players. And if you do have that system in line, then maybe it does make the choice easier if you are scrambling for a fly-half and they're the, the two options that stick out. I had a yeah. couple of questions for you, Ray, because I know you're getting close to running out of time here. Um, the first one was, please tell us about your draft tactic that we alluded to earlier. Um, and secondly, after that, what did you learn between your first and second draft? You're the only one on this pod that's done two full drafts, which is a mighty effort. Um, what can you teach our listeners? Well, uh, the, the what not to do section was we employed a system uh, with the second draft of um, having some cruises and a, a I guess snorkel that helps it go down a little bit easier um, where pretty much whenever there was a really good pick, I was like, yep, great pick drink up. Or if you had a really bad pick drink up. So there was um, look really by the end of it, it was a bit of a mess for a few people, but um, I, I think aided the draft quite nicely and definitely added to the banter and everyone ended up with a pretty good team by the end of it as well. Anyway. So um Definitely definite plus side for that, especially with no team lists announced. I think it was a bit more fun because otherwise you're just reading. Um, you can look to the drawer and just pick any outside back and be pretty content. This one, you start to have a, a few wits about you, but I think... Can, can I just say to- before you get into the, the uh, positive, hmm. I, I guess that only really works, though, if you have like an 18-year-old younger sister to actually <laughs> buy the cruises for you, <laughs> which I guess none of us in our draft did. I, I really thought that that was going to take off a bit more when I sent the photo through, and um, it must be a Queensland thing. I was going to um, say it's a it's a, definitely a Queensland it, thing. Yeah, They're available at every local store. It's a you know. <laughs> we we, oh. we did. I will say we did uh, a much more tame version of that. Just in that, if uh, if you ever went up to the whiteboard, because we love the old school, the whiteboard writing your player down, 
if you went up to the whiteboard and wrote down a name that had already been picked, you had to finish. You had to finish a beer. You yeah. could get a new beer. You had to finish one. That was good. But, um, I, I think that's fair enough. I think there should be a few punishments. I think it's a really fun thing for for drafts to employ. Um, and you know, like once you've done a few of them and you've got a bit of an idea of the system that works, it is fun to come up with ways to um, stitch people up. And even if you're setting time limits, like if someone can't pick a player in you know 45 seconds or something like that, um, I don't see why they shouldn't have to be forced to ingest something pink and lolly waterish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, between the two drafts, I think I had the benefit of doing one with the pick and drive league on the Sunday beforehand. And the the key takeaway for me was just how shallow some positions were. Um, going through, uh, I mentioned the strength of the back rows. I thought you could probably get a pretty good starting back row if you timed it well. But the probably 20th to 32nd best back rows, the guys that are making up your bench primarily, they weren't overly impressive. There was quite a few there that I didn't really rate. And uh, on top of that, I also left scrum halves and fly halves too long. And you notice pretty quickly how uh, much it drops off. So um, with any draft, you're never going to get a perfect team because there's always going to be positions you prioritize and a few that, you know, you you wish you'd gone a little bit sooner or, you know, I guess praying that the people in your league uh, make some terrible picks, but not, not, not if you're Harry or Nelson, They're, whatever they end up with, their team's always perfect. Yeah. Though, so um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have excused them from the, from the qualifier, but um, yeah, I, I think the, the key takeaways were the more prep you do, the, the more, I guess, um, ready you'll be for what's coming. So knowing how many good options there are in each position and probably being um, ready to take a, a dive on a player that you might not rate as highly, but it might be in a position that's more valuable. Um, so I definitely did that with the scrum halves and fly halves second time around. And I'm, I'm probably slightly happier with that team overall, just in, in terms of competitiveness with the with the league. But um, look, there's no perfect way to draft. So I, <laughs> I think that the key takeaway, do it sober if you can, and you'll, you'll have a blast. <laughs> And uh, the, the last one for me on just how we're drafting this year, because it is the first time that we've done an early draft, which I know a lot of people do, is because we haven't got team lineups, we've done our first trade night on a round zero trade night. So Thursday night, team lineups will be out, and that's when we're going to be doing our first five trades to see if we can just clean up some of the areas where we just got it all horribly wrong to try and make sure that we had a competitive week one as well. That's it. And... Um... Yeah, look, I think that'll do us for the night. I want to say thanks to to Rev for joining us again. I mean, mate, this is the first podcast I've done with Rev and um, absolutely welcome to come on to replace any Dales anytime, mate. I mean, <laughs> comes on another guy that picks from the hard, compliments my moustache. Um, did he do that? He, yeah. he did. I threw that out there. I blanked out. <laughs> I can't hear that enough, mate. It's uh, no. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I mean, look, he also, he came on this pod entirely because, you know, he, he does his work. He needs... He needs his shout-out, the Rugby Fixation podcast. We've gotten this far. I failed as host in, in not giving me a shout-out. Of course, if you if you know Rev already on, on our show, then you've, you've, you've been listening to the Rugby Fixation podcast. But Rev does so much, puts so much time and effort into his preparation for all those pods and has done some really interesting interviews with um, all sorts of ref, uh, refs, players, all coaches, all kinds of things. So um, definitely check that out if you haven't already. And um yeah, thanks for for coming on again, and um, and best of luck in in the draft uh, in twenty twenty two. Thank you. I, I really appreciate um, being asked to come on. It's always great to chat rugby, and there's not really a bad time to do that. And I, I think we're all in um, all in line for a pretty stressful Thursday, just as we go through the the trades and see 
how many players we picked that um, are nowhere near a 23. So um, looking forward to it. <laughs> That's it. We'll all be on our phones tomorrow, just waiting, refreshing for team lineups. But, um, oh, mate, I'm so excited for Super Rugby Pacific, as I know we all are, and um, can't wait. Let's. Um, oh, the last thing I wanted to say was, did you happen to watch the uh, the Waratahs preseason game um, on the weekend? Well, look, I, I did uh, after the fact. The, the stream cut out during, um, and I'm, I'm glad I waited till after because uh, we had uh, the voice of reason um, – you know, it just I, I think this was probably the highlight for me seeing Nigel Owens come on and just um, clarify that uh, what Mark Nonkanitawasi did was illegal, um, should have been a penalty try, and that the Waratahs basically cheated their way to a win. Really depressing start to the season for them. But, hey, look, I'll, I'll forgive, um, and I'm sure the, the Queenslanders will as well. Look, even though preseason games mean nothing, uh, to a Waratahs fan, a win is a win. Um, <laughs> yeah. but- I was going to say... I, I'm happy to take it as a cheating after. As long as we get the win, I couldn't care less. Yeah, I'll be the same. Is it just me? I only watched this the other day. Were the Waratahs on the Brad Thorne um, program or something? Because all of them were absolutely massive. And I feel like making some of the Reds look like small kids. Um, I, I don't know what they've been feeding the Tars this year, but they've been on the, what's the Brad Thorne program? Eat big, lift big. Um, <laughs> and have been absolutely huge. So... Uh, even though we're always pumped and optimistic as Waratahs fans, despite going zero in 13 last year, um, I'm through the roof now my, this year. So Waratahs is going to win. It's a, you know, it's a... <laughs> and we are the longest odds to win it for the record outside mm-hmm. of Moana Pacifica for the Waratahs. I think I'm the only one that put the Tars above the force and the, uh, a couple of other teams in our um, tipping, Harry. But um, no, you didn't. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, we could go on forever. Rev, yep. thank you so much uh, for joining us. And thank you to all of you for tuning into the Draft Rugby Show. We'll catch you uh, next week.